Yeah. I guess two things come to mind for me for that. One is that I, I, I love nothing more than to, to read writing aloud, whether it's my own or somebody else's as well. And um, enjoy, again, just the very physical expression of language to, to be making the sounds of my own body. But then, as you say, it's typically you're not just sitting there rigid, <laughs> not moving. <laughs> if, you, if you're doing a good job of reading it, there is there is a performative quality to it. And, um, and I, I very much enjoy doing that. Welcome back to another edition of How I Create Me, where we passionately celebrate remarkable humans on their quest to thrive creatively in the commercial world. I'm your host, Jessica Matthews. This community gives me both the courage to keep going and the wisdom to try something different. I hope our collective stories resonate with your own internal spark, and we're so glad you're joining us. Invite others by rating the show on Apple or Spotify. This helps the algorithm critters introduce us to more folks. And explore our happenings or chime into our conversation online at howicreate.me. Today, we're celebrating the remarkable human journalist and performance artist, Tom Bell. He chatted with me about how to navigate the wilds of wonder and why quieting our space can bring our own inner voice roaring to life, body and soul. His 25 years as an arts journalist embedded him in the Atlanta scene, where he co-founded the AJC Decatur Book Festival and also discovered a love for contemporary and aerial dance. He's now performed professionally and choreographed with companies including Crossover Movement Arts, Brooks and Company Dance, me, you, us, we, them, and more. By day, he continues his serial entrepreneurship as the co-founder of two brand consultancies, Rootstock and Chronicle. Join us to hear this lifelong lover of language and stories in all their forms, explain the word pantser, and why we should all be one, at least a little bit. Tom! It's so great to have you on the show. I've been looking forward to this since like day one. So mm -hmm. thank you for joining us on How I Create Me. Oh, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. All right, let's dive in. First question, what do you wish everyone understood about your creative work and why that fuels your passion? I think... Um... The work that I do is is often understood as as the outputs of it, the the words that end up on a page, the the speech that is given, the you know the email that's sent out, what the article in the magazine. Um, and for me, so much of the work that I do is is about is about listening. It's it's about um, you know asking questions. It's not just sitting there awkwardly and not saying anything at all, but but then being still, being quiet, being patient, and uh, really kind of engaging in that that almost kind of sacred act of, of truly hearing someone, hearing what they have to say without letting my own ideas and my own ego or my own preconceptions get in the way to just to just genuinely listen and hear people. All the rest comes after that, but if if it doesn't begin with listening, the the quality of what comes out is 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 greatly degraded. <laughs> and it sounds too like a big part of your work is also the antecedent to that output, right? It's the listening and then the process of arriving at the place of having something to say, which is also, I guess you could argue, part of the listening, <laughs> right? That it's not it's not just as a 
a writer, as a performance artist, it's not just a moment of, there's so much work that happens before that, that is, that is embedded perhaps in that final output. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's, I suppose, a different kind of silence, you know, but it's, uh, there's a lot of contemplation that, that goes into this work. It's it's not just about okay here's the ideas and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to type really fast on my computer and at the end we're going to have this thing and it's going to be done or you know old school rip the paper out of the typewriter and send it off to the presses um, you know so much of I mean other people have said this before but so much of this work if you were to observe it from the outside would would look like sitting there not doing anything <laughs> you know, like uh, is he just goofing off is he has he fallen asleep with his eyes open? What's what's going on? <laughs> um, so much of it is is taking the ideas that someone has has brought into the conversation and and just sitting with them, looking at them from many different angles, um, stringing them together in lots of different ways, and seeing how that changes things. Um, so yeah, an awful lot of thought goes into it, and. And that thought requires a willingness to be to be patient and to and to keep to keep returning to the same ideas over and over again and, and look deeper, ask ask the questions that bring greater clarity, that bring greater depth to what you're doing. So can you expand for me on what you view is an essential ingredient of creativity that folks should explore more? I think it's um, it's so important to be willing and, and able to to sit with the stillness and emptiness. I think when you talk about any creative art, it is almost by definition or nature, not something that you can know what it will look like in the end. You, you enter into the process not knowing what all the steps along the way are going to be, not knowing what will come out on the other side. So there, there has to be this fundamental willingness to not know to enter the process and know where it's going to go, to be in forest that has no path and and to find your way through it. That is so hard to do these days. <laughs> I feel like everybody yeah. <laughs> wants the proof of concept. Everybody wants to, to be sure of the thing or know what the deliverable is or what the output or outcomes. And there's an element like accountability and responsibility that I, I understand makes that attractive. But also, I agree with you. You cut off a lot of opportunity if you're not willing to go into the unknown and to find something new. If you can't sit in that space or wander in your head, then then you're missing out on all the yeah. things that could come right. after that. <laughs> Did you want to expand no, more on that? Yeah, well, and I, you know, and that that wandering, there's so many things that can take you out of that wandering. You know, there's there's so many opportunities to be distracted. Like, well, maybe I'll just do another Google search on this idea, or you know, or or something even less relevant. You know, I'll go check and see if in the last five minutes there's been another update on Facebook. Um, we live in a world where distractions from the quiet emptiness and the wandering are plentiful. And there are always sources of more information to feed in to the process. And, and those have their place. Absolutely. I spend lots of time doing research and I, I certainly am delighted to have the, the great resource of the internet out there to, to bring so much information in. But ultimately to create something that's not just derivative, um, you have to open up an open undefined space and, and protect that space 
so that something genuinely creative can come into the world because there's room for it. <laughs> and it's from you, like you are the one doing the giving. And if there's not space for you, if like you said, you're just weaving together these derivatives or tangents or uh, disparate other ideas that have come in from all these other channels, then it's not as much something new for the world, is it? As when you turn inward and sit in that space and then bring something beautiful out. Yeah, you're just uh, you're just a processing machine at that point, you know. Man is the machine, something we, mm. <laughs> we have been exploring <laughs> and fighting and thinking about for such a long time. Yeah. And it's still here. It's still here. I think it it happens even more now that uh, all these devices, right, have attached themselves to our bodies. We have our phone and our laptop and even this podcasting mic set up, right, as an attachment for my voice. And there's impulse uh, to to fuse those pieces more and more into a whole, but then that makes us more and more the machine and less and less the internal wide open space of the soul that we have uh, to explore. So what's a commonly held dichotomy about creativity that you reject and why? There's this, um, this common question in writing circles, particularly creative writing circles sometimes that, um, people will ask, are you a, a planner or a pantser? Um, and the idea there is that, you know, that there are supposedly these two different approaches to writing. The, the planner is the person who creates a very detailed outline, plans out every step of the thing that they're going to write before they ever start composing, and then they write it exactly as they have planned it. And then the pantser is the by the seat of your pants idea, the idea that you would just show up at the page with no idea what's going to come out and just just go and see what happens. Um, in my experience, the best writing is, is neither and both. You show up to the writing process and there is some structure that gets you there and that protects that time and protects the fact that the ideal of it being undistracted and so forth. And, and you probably have, often I have rough sketches or rough outlines or some general idea of where I think it's going to go. But then once I, I show up to the process, there has to be this openness to the unexpected, the unknown, to wandering. Um, and so I very quickly abandon outlines and sketches um, with impunity or rewrite them or redo them over and over and over again or just rethink on the fly as I'm going. Um, so you end up kind of doing this flying by the seat of your pants thing because that's kind of, that's the, that's the creative flow. That's the process, right, is, is showing up in the moment and seeing what happens and then letting it happen, follow that muse wherever it wants to wander. Um, so it's like for, for writing to happen, for it to be anything other than just free association of the mind, you know, you have to say like, okay, I will show up at this crossroads you know, with this general intention. But then if the muse says, okay, let's step off the road and go wander through this forest here and see if we can find a lake somewhere in there and dive underneath the, um, the plants that are growing on the surface, well, then you follow and you see where that goes and... And that's, and then later on you, you reassess and you say, okay, well, did I go completely off the rails here? Is this any good? Do I need to revise this in a way that makes it something that actually serves a purpose? Or is there something wonderful? Did I find something wonderful by following the creative moment? I really love that metaphor, uh, especially because it highlights something that caught my ear answer. And that was being willing to abandon the plan. I 
oftentimes find myself looking at the plan as part of that creative outcome. And it's so hard for me to let go and wander <laughs> off the path because I'm like, look at this beautiful list that I made. Look at this wonderful <laughs> plan. It's somehow unfulfilled if I don't do the plan. <laughs> but you like, of course you should like dive into the lake that you come across when you're wandering in the woods that looks beautiful on a hot sunny day. Like, why wouldn't you? Um, I really, really uh, like that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good note to self <laughs> yeah. willing to, to walk away from the plant and then you circle back like you eventually you have to find your car again to go home after your excursion and <laughs> maybe next time you want to bring a pack of lunch so you, <laughs> because the trail's a little longer than you thought so I, I really love that meta- like it's easy to play that metaphor out in my head because I can see how you you do come back to the plan but you you'll miss out on so much if you don't if you're not willing to abandon it uh, once you get started on the journey, it's like this plan to show up, go on the journey and then reassess at the end. I think that's a really beautiful rhythm that I could see being very sustainable, especially when you're a creative who depends on being able to produce at a, a certain sort of rhythm, you know, like if you're trying to meet deadlines or you have clients that you're serving, you know, there's variables involved that require attention and respect. But how do you personally avoid sort of drifting to either side of this binary? What are what are some of the things <laughs> that, that you do to help yourself on your adventures? Oh, uh, it's not easy. Uh, deadlines always help. <laughs> <laughs> And guidelines, um, you know, um, knowing that something is due on a certain day definitely focuses the mind on structure and um, knowing that a particular publication will not publishing, publish anything longer than X number of words, you know, those, those structure things are sort of the external forces for you. But, um, but in a more sort of proactive way, you know, my own personal agency. Um, I think there's an, a kind of like an embracing of the rhythm of it all that I agree with something you said a couple of minutes ago that the planning part is part of the creative process. It's the fact that you abandon it doesn't mean that it wasn't part of the process and it's important to have done that. Um, and then to go and wander and then to, to return. And I, I guess a big part of it is just embracing that you are going to keep going through this cycle repeatedly and to, to sort of honor the cycle of it, to know that you're probably going to go a little bit adrift <laughs> during the wandering phase. And that's okay because you know that you're then going to come back and, and return to thinking it in a more perhaps analytical way, a more practical way, looking at the structures again, only to abandon that structure again and wander some more. And so I think it's a lot of it is about um, being fully present for whichever part of that rhythm you're in when you're planning plan when you're wandering, wander, and just know that you will continue to shift back and forth between those two modes. And, and eventually something worthwhile comes out at the end, hopefully. So it sounds like there's almost a companionship that's possible in this creative process of like, I guess the traditional word for it is a muse, right? That there's there's a, a, a piece of that creativity sort of maybe the center core of it that is present through all parts of that process and then 
the joy of it is following, finding, tracking that through all the various steps in it. So how do you go about finding and tracking your muse? Yeah, I I often think of it as as playfulness. Um, but that's what creativity feels like to me. You know, it's not um, it's not something high minded and fancy. It's it's playing, which we're all born knowing how to do. Um, and it's to continue to be creative is is to hold on to that ability to play and to be present in the world without always being focused and productive and full of intention. Um, so that's kind of the mindset that I'm always going after. I nurture that aspect by. Uh, going out into the world and literally walking in the woods. I don't just metaphorically walk in the woods. I, <laughs> I, I, I love to walk in the woods. And it is one of the things that, that really connects me with that aspect of, of myself and that mode of being present in the world. Um, and even if it's not in the woods, just being in the world in a way that is present and that notices what's around you. You know, even if I'm just walking around the block here in Atlanta, just noticing the the different homes and you know the qualities of the houses or the the cracks in the sidewalk or you know the birds or the the chipmunks that are walking by just to to truly be there rather than thinking back over something that happened in the past or planning for the future or thinking about a goal that i have to to just be out there and to be wandering and exploring the world without lots of intention that that connects me with that playful creative spirit I find that so much of the best writing that really connects with my heart, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, they're somehow able to capture the, that feeling of being present instead of just a list of descriptions. Like you can go on a walk and be like, oh, there's all these cracks in the sidewalk and this is the kind of moss that grows in it and this is what it looks like in the setting sun of a four o'clock afternoon on the East Coast. Like you can accumulate <laughs> all those details to like add them to your, your work to make it sound more realistic, but it, it doesn't land it doesn't land if it's just a list of details you picked up on a walk. It lands, like you said, when it's present, when you're feeling the being there and those details come out not as a list or evidence or proof that you've done your research, <laughs> rather <laughs> as, as just the, the, uh, the natural outflow and the consequence, the consequential details and realism that come from having actually been out in the world. And I can see the distinction there uh, in the writing that resonates with me most versus writing that comes across as just homework that got turned in you know for, <laughs> for a publisher <laughs> so how do you combine did you want to expand on that well just to say i um i read an essay a few days ago by um a writer that i went to college with sonia huber who's this this wonderful creative nonfiction writer and she was challenging the old idea in writing of show don't tell and I think what you're speaking of there, that idea of like just the scientific description is like we're, this idea that somehow we're not supposed to share our own perceptions, our own inner monologues or the, our own experience of, of what we're seeing, that it's, it's supposed to be about objects and action. You know, that show don't tell is like describe rather than share your own particular experience of the world. And, and she says, no, we need to, to do both. You know, we need to 
to show what's going on, but also to share our own particular perspective and experience of the world. And I, I think that that's, that's right. <laughs> How do you combine your experience of being in the world embodied in a moment? How do you combine your experience in movement and maybe the movement arts to find a rhythm in your approach to writing and telling of a story? Yeah, I have to say, you know, writing has always felt to me like a, a physical embodied experience. And and I don't just mean the fact that you know my fingers are hitting keys on the keyboard. I, I mean that when writing is is working and flowing, it there is a sense in my body of of rightness. And and when it's not quite right, there's a sense of the the spine not being aligned, or of of muscles being cramped, or of of awkwardness, you know, of physical awkwardness in my body when when writing isn't quite right. And it's always this cue to myself that. I need, I need to come back. I, I need to do more here. I haven't found it yet because it doesn't feel like it's flowing in my body. And I think part of what I'm picking up on times like that is the rhythms of language, kind of the music of language, which, which to me is always important, no matter what you're writing about. Um, and I think there's even like a, a feel that certain words have that you, even if you're not saying them aloud, you, you can feel in your throat, you know, when they're there is a musical quality or when the, the right uh, sounds are, are coming out of the writing that you're doing. So even if I'm being perfectly quiet and, and still, other than my fingers typing, there is this sense in my own body of this feels right or this doesn't feel right. And if it doesn't feel right, I need to keep revising. I need to keep looking for the right sentence structure or the right word. So, you know, I came to, um, to dance later in life um, through writing. I was, Tell me I was, more. Tell <laughs> me thought, more. <laughs> well, if you insist. <laughs> I, you know, I, I had, um, you know, high school and college, a, a little bit of experience with dance, but not, not very much. I never viewed it as, as anything that I would pursue. But um, when I was working as a, as a journalist at Creative Loafing, covering the arts, I started uh, writing about dance. And through that process, I found myself wanting to do kind of the George Plimpton thing of, of immersive journalism, where you kind of write from the inside. So, you know, he would go play football or get in a boxing ring in order to be able to write about those experiences from the inside. So I started doing that with dance. I, I took every tango class that was offered in the city and performed one night at a, at a, at a restaurant with one of my teachers. And, uh, I hung out with a break, a couple of break dancing crews for a while and, you know, learned how to pop and lock a little bit and helicopter and some things like that. And then one point I was writing a story about uh, a form called uh, contact improvisation, which is uh, improvisational form that was started in the, the early seventies. And I loved it so much that even after I wrote the story, I just kept just kept going. And that, without any intention on my part, led to some invitations from some choreographers to start performing with them. And, and it just kind of has snowballed. And so for the last almost 15 years, I guess at this point, I've been performing occasionally uh, with professional companies around Atlanta and then creating some of my own work as well. And it's been fun to kind of hold these these two different modes of creativity in my life and to to find ways in which they can intersect and in which they can balance each other out 
but um yeah it's been it's been a fun outlet (laughs) that sounds so fun and it sounds like it's it's maybe even less of an outlet and more of a source that it's something you can draw on when you're writing not just about the content of the type of dance or the technique and the moves but that that it does give you this point of connection and contact with your body that then translates into writing. I so appreciated your distinction between writing and typing on a keyboard. I think many times when we think about embodiment as a writer, the, uh, the product marketing industry kind of clouds that vision with like ergonomics, like is it is it designed to like support my spine in this like perfect alignment and make sure that the angles of my fingers are correct and all this? And <laughs> there's definitely a place for that for sure. sure. Like I work long hours at a computer, so I can appreciate that. But there's it's more than that. It's not just the getting this like technical angle geometric setup or like solids the frozen position correct right and that it's it's actually this this engagement with the muscles and the sweat and other bodies and performance and stages and uh all of that that kind of comes into the musicality of language is is just an abstraction of the real right where we're grabbing on something sounds to represent these much bigger feelings and ideas and and to be able to pull them out of thin air you know it's really helpful when you filled the air with movement and mm-hmm. <laughs> with song and music. <laughs> so I love that. Yeah. I guess two things come to mind for me for that. One is that I, I, I love nothing more than to, to read writing aloud, whether it's my own or somebody else's as well. And, um, enjoy again, just the very physical expression of language to, to be making the sounds of my own body. But then as you say, it's, Typically, you're not just sitting there rigid, <laughs> not moving. <laughs> if, you're, if you're doing a good job of reading it, there is there is a performative quality to it, and um, and I, I very much enjoy doing that. Um, but yeah, dance absolutely feeds uh, the creative practice in writing as well. I I personally am most drawn to improvisational modes of dance. Some are pure improvisation, where you're just kind of doing whatever comes to mind, but um, I, I find structured improvisation really interesting to work with and have, have done a lot of that. And this in many ways kind of goes back to that idea of a planner or a pantser. Um, so in a structured improvisation, you might say, okay, we, we know that our general um, line of travel is going to be in this direction. We know that when the music changes this way, we're going to bring this new quality into it here are some general guidelines for the kinds of possibilities we're going to explore in in this dance. But then you just go into the moment and see what happens. And and the most remarkable things usually do happen, things that you never could have planned in the first place, sometimes things that you could not have anticipated you even could do. Those are the most beautiful moments in improvisational dance where three seconds after you've done something, you're like, I didn't know I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) that was awesome you know and and what a magical choice it ended up being you know it it created something in the moments that we never would have planned for Uh, and and so I I love and the nice thing about dance is that it you know physics keeps you really honest (laughs) (laughs) because you you have to improvise but you also are trying not to uh, drop your 
partner on their head or <laughs> or bend your leg in a way that it doesn't bend. So you know there are some really hard and fast rules and structures that um, keep you within some certain bounds, the darn laws of physics. But <laughs> oh, <laughs> within that, to play within that and see what magic you can create is just such a joy and, and feeds that creative playfulness again as well. Oh, I imagine so. We uh, had recently, uh, going back to your idea of being able to read out loud as an embodied experience, you know, not there's um, sometimes in places in life that dance fits more readily, but even just something as simple like reading out loud. We recently shared a dinner with our neighbors who celebrated uh, Robert Burns Day, which is apparently a huge holiday uh, across the pond. And part of the evening's sort of formal structure is is that you share and you read and you do speeches and things like this. And so I brought a reading of one of his poems. And if you've ever read any Robert Burns, right, he writes it exactly how it sounds. So even if you're not an actor, if you're sounding out the poem as it's written, it fills the room with that great brogue, you know, and uh, it was just utterly delightful to do that with friends and there's so little opportunity and occasion for that and I want more of that in my life and so I love these ideas of of dancing and improv classes and uh and showing up in spaces with with this like you said this like loose plan and structure that kind of optimizes the moment to to find and enjoy the muse and uh, oh, now I want to read it more out loud because it just sounds lovely and, and full-bodied. So what's something that you hope that people do uh, more in the future? Like I'm thinking of future generations of creatives. You know, we've lost a lot of the formal structure in our lives. Things are super casual in our culture. And what are some of the hopes that you have for people to to be able to encounter their muse and find their muse and sort of like, explore some of these unbounded places i think in the last couple years not everybody but some people have been have found their lives a little less busy (laughs) um the 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 reason for it of course is is tragic but the but but nonetheless some of us have found that our lives are, are not as full as they once were um and i think that that's a real opportunity for us to, to to learn from and to hold on to, even as as the world starts revving its its engines back up again, um, I, I am by no means a luddite. You know, I I appreciate technology. I, I utilize it all the time. I love watching good movies and good TV shows and great music and, and all of these things. And I'm, I'm glad that we have this richness available to us. But um, but it comes with this uh, opportunity to just be constantly receiving outside stimulus all the time, all the time, all the time, and to always be doing something, to always be producing something. And then there are in our economy, in our economic structure, there is a lot of pressure to be constantly producing and to always know that there's going to be something valuable that comes out of, of what you do and to know what that will be. Um, and I think um, it is it is so important, and I hope that people do hold on to the counterbalancing value of doing absolutely nothing, of of having quiet and rest and unstructured 
playful time in their lives. Times when you're not trying to optimize or be more productive or get more done or achieve more, but just to, to, to be and to experience the world around you and, and be open to a sense of wonder and awe and, and to wander without a plan. I think the, the greatest creativity, the greatest art comes out of having those spaces and those times in our life where there, there is no plan and we don't worry about what's coming out of it. We're just, we're just in the moment. We're experiencing the world and we're playing. I hope we all hold on to that. That's such a beautiful thought. I kind of want to sit in it for a second. <laughs> so I do also want to play a game with you. Okay. Called the end game. It's the world's most popular self-expression game. So it tells me on the box. And <laughs> well, it must be true. <laughs> right? Obviously. <laughs> That's one of my favorite quotes from Singing in the Rain, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, one of the characters, <laughs> she's uh, the great comedian Donald O'Connor says, um, Yeah, she's irresistible. She told me so herself. <laughs> 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 about my toddler my husband of course you told me so yourself yes. yes I remember mm -hmm. <laughs> okay oh I've done that question already hold on let's try another one. Ooh, this could this could be a good one all right I've drawn a card and it says talk about competition which I think is a very interesting contrast to where we landed mm. our discussion yeah because we are, after all, in a competitive world. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Oh, gosh. And I, despite all these um, these things I keep saying about not thinking about the outcome and being in the moment and all that stuff, I absolutely have a competitive streak. <laughs> um, and it, and some, sometimes it comes out and sometimes the safest place for it to come out in is games, which I'm, I'm a little disappointed that the ungame has no competitive aspect to it whatsoever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we were playing a game of, of Trivial Pursuit right now or Risk or something, I would be, I would just oh. be determined to yeah. dominate and destroy all my enemies. Right? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Competition for me uh, was growing up as a gymnast, so I didn't compete in these big team arenas, but I competed against the perfect ideal, the concept of a general move, right? Getting the angle of your leg or the number of rotations to match, you know, this imagined or create, you know, somebody created it at some point, this cool new flip thing that you could do with your body. Um, but then it percolates down into, into being something that's like this ideal form that you're trying, you're competing to hit this ideal form and mostly you're competing against yourself. So I tend to, when I'm put in like a team competitive situation, uh, I will, I will usually end up making the game about my own personal goals on the board and like let everybody else have at each other's throats, <laughs> which works well because I'm married to an extremely competitive <laughs> husband yep. who, who also, also tries for world domination, you know, risk or not. Yes. Um, 
and it <laughs> turns into lots of fun uh, for everyone. <laughs> I, um, I, I raced bikes in college. Um, and that's kind of, you're talking about sort of the team versus individual and, and biking is cycling is actually a little bit of both. You know, you, you do work together with your teammates to, to help each other in a race. And then there's also a moment in every race where it's just like, okay, we're, I'm, I'm sprinting, you know, <laughs> there's, there's the finish line and I'm going for it. And it's, uh, I, I absolutely love, you know, kind of the, the wild animal rush of that, of just like, I am going to use every ounce of power in my body and I am going to get there before anybody else. And <laughs> my legs are on fire. My, my lungs are gasping and I'm going to push harder and, and just get there. Uh, it reminds me of your phrase, um, talking about physics when we were dancing earlier, there's like competition seems to me to seem sort of like an abstraction of, of physics. It creates these artificially beautiful parameters that, that give you that extra fuel and fire as a creative and as a person to, um, to draw on everything that's inside and bring it out into the world. So there's my concluding thoughts on competition. And of course, we could continue chatting and holding silence and space for quite a lot longer than this podcast. But I do want to thank you so much for sharing all of your thoughts and stories and insights with us today, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. It's so, so much fun, Jessica. I really enjoyed the conversation. That's another party in the bag for How I Create Me. We're incredibly grateful that you welcomed our content into your headspace. We take it very seriously that we should bring light and goodness to your soul. So don't be shy about sharing your thoughts. How'd we do? Do you want to hear more? What should we talk about next? To stay connected and get amongst the details, visit howicreate.me. Are there other people in your world that should join the party? Invite others by rating the show on Apple or Spotify. This helps the algorithm critters introduce us to more folks. Like, share, follow, and all the social media things. That'll help too. Explore our happenings or chime into our conversation online at howicreate.me. This podcast would not be possible without the generous efficiency of our executive producer and production team at Chat with Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening. May you go forth and thrive.